Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 1. Now, those of you who are visiting with us, we have been studying the lives of the prophets Elijah and Elisha over the last several weeks. And in particular, we have seen how the Lord has raised up these servants in a conflict between kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of man. And in particular, the kingdom of man of which these prophets were raised up to come against is the kingdom established by a man named Omri. You see, the Lord establishes people in the land of Canaan and established a kingdom called Israel. And over that kingdom rose a king named David that the Lord made a covenant with saying that one of his sons would sit upon the throne of the kingdom forever, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And yet, following the reign of David's son Solomon and the reign of his son Rehoboam, The kingdom was split between the north and the south. In the south, in the kingdom of Judah, the son of David continued to reign. But in the north, various kingdoms arose that led the people of God into all sorts of evil and wickedness and idolatry. And in particular, Omri established a kingdom in Israel to reign over God's people that was marked by wickedness. His son Ahab arose after him. And the word of God tells us that Ahab did more evil than all the kings who were before him. And last week we saw how the Lord by his powerful word brought Ahab down to the grave. And then his son Ahaziah came to reign in his place. And again this week, as we look to the Word of God, we see how this king who follows the path of wickedness and idolatry again is brought down in this conflict between kingdoms. So hear now the Word of the Lord, 2 Kings, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1. This is God's holy Word. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal the God of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king and said to them, And he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, 
Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Bells above the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of fifty men with his fifty. He went up to Elijah who was sitting on top of a hill and said to him, O man of God, the king says, Come down. But Elijah answered the captain of fifty, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent to him another captain of fifty men with his fifty. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then fire came of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of fifty men with their fifties. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now and we come to your word. And we ask, O Lord, that as we look to your word and as we hear your word, that your spirit, who first inspired these words of scripture, might now open our eyes, that we might see the truth of your word and that it might lead us to faith in your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we do pray. Amen. Where do you go when you fall? Our passage for this morning begins with King Ahaziah falling. Look at verse 2 of our text again. There it says, Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria. Now, there is no indication from the text that 
This particular fall was the direct result of some particular sin that Ahaziah had committed. It was not divine retribution for pursuing the sins of his father or his mother. At least the text does not tell us that. It was, as we can assume, just caused by weak lattice work that gave way under his weight and he fell. You see, accidents like this happen in a world that is broken by sin. Jesus speaks of such an accident that happened in his day. You see, there was a tower that fell and there were many people that died. And people were assuming that the tower fell upon them and killed them because they were more wicked than other people. But Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, are those 18 on whom the tower in Salaam fell and killed them? Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? You see, it seems that Ahaziah's fall is not because he was any more evil than anyone else. He fell because he lives in a world where all people fall. That in our lives, every one of us at some point will fall. In the summer of 2015, I had a memorable fall myself. I was on a cruise with my extended family. My grandmother had turned 80 years old. And as a gift to everybody else in the family, she invited us all to come and celebrate her birthday on this cruise ship. Well, about halfway through the cruise, I was walking down a flight of stairs on the outside deck of the cruise ship, and I was carrying my daughter Eva, who was about two years old at the time, when I lost my footing and fell. Now, at first, I was very concerned about my daughter Eva, because I was carrying her, and I was worried that her head may have hit the railing, and I wanted to make sure she was okay, and April was at the bottom of the steps, and I rushed over to her, and I handed over our daughter, and I said, is she okay? Is she okay? And April reassured me, she's fine. She's fine. And so, as I calmed down, I looked at my hand that started to hurt a little bit, And there my ring finger was sticking out at a 90 degree angle. And my face turned white. And April went, oh. (laughs) Apparently what had happened was, is as I was falling down and holding Eva, I caught my finger on the side of the step and it popped it out and dislocated it. It was whole, the whole thing was rather disturbing to everyone involved. You see, we live in a world where falls happen. In a world that is broken by sin. And to live in a world that's broken by sin is to live in a world where people fall off balconies because the lattice work is too weak. It's to live in a world where people fall downstairs and dislocate their fingers. It's to live in a world where there are car accidents, where people will be injured horribly or even die. It's to live in a world where there's Lyme's disease and there's tornadoes and there is cancer. You see, without undermining the absolute sovereignty of God, which we affirm, we can also affirm that from a human perspective, 
Accidents happen that have no apparent pattern or readily known purpose at hand. I have no understanding why, even now, years later, why it is that I fell on that day, besides the fact that my foot is so big that it is not designed to fit onto stairs. Or maybe because there was a little water, or maybe the ship may have shifted a little bit at that moment. But there is no apparent reason why I fell at that moment. You see, there are times when we just fall like Ahaziah fell. All of us have experienced such hardships in one form or another. We have all fallen, and the reality is we will all fall again. It's the reality of living in a world that is broken. So the pertinent question as we come to our text is not whether or not you will fall at some point in your life. The pertinent question is, what will you do when you do fall? What will you do when the brokenness of this world wreaks havoc in your life? When we're children and we have a fall, we naturally call out to our parents. You fall off a bike, you tumble down the stairs, you slip on the pool deck because you are running even though the lifeguard said don't run. And what do we do? We cry for mom. And children do this instinctively and naturally because they trust their mother to care for them, to hold them, to kiss the hurt and make it better. When we fall, we naturally call out to the one that we trust. Now... Ahaziah's fall must have been extremely serious. The text tells us that following this accident, he became sick. Now there's no indication if this sickness of his is a way of speaking of broken bones. He just had broken bones and so he was sick. Or if he had some injury because of his fall that led to an infection. Either way, Ahaziah knows that something is terribly wrong with him. And in all likelihood, if things do not change... He is going to die from his fall. And so what is his response? Where does he instinctively go? We'll look down at the second half of verse 2. It says, So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. In his time of greatest need, Ahaziah showed where he placed his faith. And Baal, the god of Ekron. It is in our time of greatest need that we reveal where our greatest hope lies. Ahaziah knows that he is on the very verge of death. And as he stares into the face of eternity, he instinctively turns to the God that he believes will give him hope and healing. The sad reality is is that he has placed his hope in a God that doesn't truly exist. We remember from our past study when the prophets of Baal called out to him on top of Mount Carmel that there was no response. When the heavens stopped giving rain, Baal could do nothing to bring rain. Over and over again, it's been shown that Baal has no power 
to bring healing or to bring hope or power. You see, idolatry is just foolishness. We read in the book of Isaiah of the foolishness of those who seek after idols. Isaiah writes of a piece of wood that half of this piece of wood he burns in a fire. And over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. And he warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of this piece of wood he makes into a god. His idol. And falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. Deliver me. Save me. In his greatest time of need... Ahaziah calls out to a piece of wood that's been dipped in gold and he believes that it will save him. Why? Because this is what he trusted more than anything else in the world. Idolatry is such foolishness that it will make you trust in a piece of wood. And I wonder... As you reflect upon your own life and when hardship and falls come, where do you instinctively turn? What do you trust when you fall? Where do you look? I know that there are many of us when we have something hard come into our life, we turn to the imp- we turn to information and facts and we think, you know, the more I know, the better I will be able to control my situation. And you try to get all the information you can and you try to fix your situation by your own knowledge and wisdom. Others of us turn to alcohol or to drugs. We think, I will numb away the pain of life. If I don't feel it anymore, then I will no longer have to deal with this fall. Many of us turn to entertainment. I'll forget my troubles. When things get hard, instead of turning to the Lord, we turn on the TV. Or do you turn to your own resources and to your own money? My gold will get me out of this trouble. The word of the Lord says to us who have fallen, Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. You see, the Lord is our Creator. And the Lord is our Redeemer. And He offers to us His help in our day of trouble. When we fall, He offers to care for us. And what more could you need, Christian, than the help of the God of the universe. If He is for us, who can be against us? You see, the first thing that we learn by way of contrast as we read of Ahaziah is that when we fall, we must instinctively look to the Lord God. We must look to His Word and call out to Him. And He will hear you. And He will deliver you. For the Lord is not like the false gods of this world. He is alive. Now, the Lord sends His word through the prophet Elijah to rebuke Ahaziah's trust in Baal. We read in verses 3 through 4, But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, 
Go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Three times this message is repeated in our chapter for this morning. Here in verses 3 through 4, again in verse 6, and again in verse 16. Three times the word of the Lord is spoken to Ahaziah. And the point of this verse is rather clear. You see, if you turn away from the Lord when you fall, it will lead to your destruction. While there's no indication in our text that Ahaziah's fall was the result of punishment, his eventual death that came from the fall is directly connected to his refusal to turn and trust in the Lord. That is what the therefore in verse 4 is pointing us to. It's to logically connect Not Ahaziah's fall, but Ahaziah's refusal to call out to the Lord for help with his eventual death. You see, if we turn from the Lord when we fall, it only means further pain. Now, it's common and natural for us to ask questions of the Lord. Why, Lord? Why have you allowed me to fall? Why have you allowed this hardship to come into our lives? We have a sense that If God allows us to fall, that now we are God's enemy. When everything is going well, we're willing to love and to worship and obey God, believing that, man, if things are going well, that means that God's blessing is upon me. Yet, when tragedy strikes, we so often get angry with God, and instead of turning to Him, instead of calling out to Him, we turn away from God and we blame God. We don't agree with the direction that He has taken our lives. And so we shake our fist at God, believing that we have a right to question what He has done. When you fall, do you get angry with the Lord? When there's an accident? When there's been a diagnosis? When there's been a loss that is particularly painful and close to home? Do you blame God? For the hardships in your life. Just as children will call out to their parents in times of distress. Those who have kids also know that they will lash out at their parents when they are upset. Believing that somehow their parents should have shielded them from the hardship that they're going through. They will irrationally blame them for their own troubles. And when we turn from the Lord in anger. When we get upset at Him for our misfortune. We only make things worse. So how are we to deal with the hardships and the falls in our lives? Well, this may be one of the most emotionally difficult, not intellectually difficult, but emotionally difficult truths to grasp. But it's absolutely necessary. God has the right to do whatever He desires. And you have no right to question Sometimes it's important for us to hear such hard words about God's sovereignty to put us back into a proper perspective of who we are and who God is. So that when we fall, we don't get angry at God. 
We need to come to the place where we accept the reality that God has an absolute right over his creatures to do with them as he pleases to do with them. He can raise them up and give them blessing and ease and He can cast them down and give them broken bones and give them disease. He can give them health or He can give them sickness. He can give them life and He can give them death. And we have no right to question why and how and when He does what He does because He is God and we are not. The Lord says... Through the prophet Isaiah, I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these things. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord says, See now that I, even I am He and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out my hand. When you fall, will you put God in the wrong for exercising His own prerogative to do what He pleases with His own creation? When we fall, we must understand that it is the Lord who has sovereignly ordained our fall. He is in control. There are no accidents from His perspective. In His kingdom, He completely and totally reigns over everything. And we must trust Him. Now, that doesn't mean that we're dishonest about the hardships that we feel. If we're angry, we should not hide that. It's not like we're hiding anything from God. God is big enough to handle our questions and our distress. You go to the Psalms and you pray the Psalms that call out to God. And yet the greatest peace, the greatest healing that you can experience in this world where there is falls is not to have all mystery resolved as to why it has happened but rather in humility to willingly say like Job said, though He slay me, I will hope in Him. You see, if we run away from the Lord in times of our distress, it will only lead to further pain and destruction. But if we trust in the Lord, if we trust in His goodness and His love to us, then even our deepest hardships and distresses will be sanctified to us. There is no greater peace in a world where we will fall to know that the Lord who loves us and is for us is the one who is in control of every up and every down in our lives. You see, when we fall, We must trust the Lord and run to Him alone. You may have noticed as we read through the passage that there is a curious number of ups and downs that occur. If you look through it, you'll see that the words up and down occur 18 times. And more than that, there is a conceptual up and down occurring. Ahaziah falls down. He is put up on his bed, of which he will never come down. The captain of the 50 comes up to Elijah, but the Lord sends down his fire. 
The third captain falls down in humility and fear before Elijah, and Elijah comes down from the mountain. Then Elijah goes down to the king and says in verse 16, you can see there in your text, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up. Now, what is the point of all these ups and downs that are happening here in this passage? One commentator suggests this. He says that frequently in Scripture, the wicked are painted as being destroyed by a kind of gravitational downward pull. They fall down into traps. They fall down into the pit. It's like their evilness is a weight that is pulling them downward. But this chapter reverses the symbolism. In short, it is those who come down who are seen as godly and those who go up who are wicked. Why is this? Well, the initial incident is Ahaziah falling down. But the remainder of the chapter shows those who are destroyed are those who keep going up. The captains of the 50 are destroyed by fire. They're going up to Elijah to forcibly bring him to Ahaziah. It's Ahaziah who will die up upon his bed. On the other hand, it is the third captain who falls down in humility who is saved from destruction. It is Elijah who comes down from the mountain to deliver the word of the Lord. You see, in this passage, the godly are moving downward and the godless are moving upward. And it's a clear picture of how we are to respond when we fall. When we are in a place of need. For so often when we fall, our instinct is to rise up in pride. We begin to blame other people for why it is that we have fallen. We begin to stiffen our necks and demand retribution. But the Lord causes us to fall so that we might be brought low. He is teaching us in this passage that the one who is saved isn't the one who can raise himself up, but rather the one who is saved is the one who bows down in humility and lowliness. And when we fall, we are not called upon to raise ourselves up. Rather, the Lord is moving in the hardships and the struggles and the falls of your life to break you, to humble you, to keep you low so that He might be the one who raises you up. Ahaziah raised himself up and he went down to the grave. The first two captains of the 50 raised themselves up and fire came down and brought them to the grave. Contrary to what we might think, The Word of God is continually pointing us to the fact that the path of life is not going upward, but rather it is going downward in humility. For when we fall, we display our trust in the Lord by waiting upon Him to raise us up. So when you fall, don't rise up in pride, but seek the Lord. 
Allow yourself to be humbled. Allow yourself to feel your weakness and your inability to provide life for yourself and trust in God's strength to raise you up. Todd Billings is a professor of theology at Western Theological Seminary in Michigan. And a few years ago, he was diagnosed with an incurable form of blood cancer. At the age of 39, he has metaphorically fallen. And there is nothing that he can do to lift himself up. There are no cures. There are no remedies. Barring a miracle, he will die of this cancer. Now, he may have been angry with God and he admits that there was anger. He could have denied this disease and sought to lift himself up. He could have looked to his own righteousness and said, Lord, I'm a seminary professor. I've dedicated my life to serving you and teaching others about you. It's not fair that you have done this to me. How dare you cause me to fall and die an immature death? But rather than lifting himself up before the Lord, he humbled himself. He says that the night of his diagnosis, he and his wife did not sleep. In the morning, as they ate breakfast together, they wept together. As their son came down the stairs, he joined them in weeping. You see, he humbled himself before God. Billings observes, our culture often suggests that we are entitled to a long, fulfilling life. And if that doesn't happen, there must be someone to sue or someone to blame. But instead of blaming, he went to the word of the Lord and found there the strength to allow himself to be made low. The strength to see his life as part of something bigger than his own short time on earth. You see, the story of our redemption... Our story as Christians is precisely about what happens when we fall. For we are a people who have fallen. We have not just physically fallen, but spiritually by our sin, we have fallen into death. And we are a people who need to be raised up. So often the answer that is given to us is to look inside To pull yourself up. To build for yourself a resume of righteousness so that at the end of your life you may look at the Lord and say, Hey God, see how far I ascended in righteousness. Will you not now accept me into your kingdom? But the testimony of the Word of God is that those who raise themselves up will ultimately fall. But those who humble themselves will be saved. In the ups and downs of salvation history, the greatest downward motion was that of the Lord Jesus Christ coming down from heaven to be born as a human being. He continued to go down for He humbled Himself under the law of God. He submitted Himself to the pains and temptations of this life. He humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, and He went down into the grave. Just as King Ahaziah died and went down and fell, so too is the king of our kingdom, a king who fell and went down. 
But you see, that is where we who have fallen are to meet the Lord when we fall. That is where the Lord Jesus Christ communes with His people when we come before Him weak and low and fallen, admitting that we do not have the strength within ourselves to save ourselves. The Apostle Paul says that he desires to share in the sufferings of Christ. Now, why would he do that? Why would he want to share in the sufferings of Christ? He explains, I desire to share in the sufferings of Christ. I desire to be brought low and to be humbled that I might know Christ and I might know the power of His resurrection. You see, Christ came down that He might raise us up. All who come to Him in faith, all who call out to Him in their time of need, we are brought low so that He will cause us to go upward. For there is a disease that we all carry that is much worse than cancer. It is sin. And each of us are staring into the expanse of eternity with this disease pulling us downward as a gravitational pull down into the pit of destruction. Sin is what caused our fall. And the Lord Jesus Christ came down to die on our behalf that He might be the one who raises us up. You see, in the kingdom of God, those who raise themselves up will be brought down. But those who are willing to be low and to be humble, who are willing to go down, will be the ones that the Lord Jesus Christ causes to be raised up. So don't be like Ahaziah who raised himself up and sought after false hopes. Rather, look to Christ in humility and in faith that by the power of His resurrection, He will raise you up to life everlasting. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to You and we confess that we do not like to fall. We do not like to be humbled. We do not like to feel our weakness. Lord, and yet we know that it is all of Your grace that You bring us to these points of weakness and distress that we might see the reality that we have no strength within us to give to us life and life everlasting. I pray, Lord, for each here that as we inevitably fall because of this world, that in humility we will look to Your Son, Jesus Christ, and that we would have faith that even on the last day, He will raise us up. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.